Section 8 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emil Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 4, Part 2. Stefana had begun to smile in a placid way while glancing at Pierre, who had approached the window. Oh, you say that, uncle, she responded. But you love us well all the same, and more than once you have given me myself some good advice, for which I'm very thankful to you. For instance, there's that affair of Attilio's. She was alluding to her son, the lieutenant, and his love affair with Celia, the little princess Buon Giovanni, of which all the drawing-rooms, white and black alike, were talking. Attilio, that's another matter, exclaimed Orlando. He and you are both of the same blood as myself, and it's wonderful how I see myself again in that fine fellow. Yes, he is just the same as I was at his age, good-looking and brave and enthusiastic. I'm paying myself compliments, you see. But really now, Attilio warms my heart, for he is the future, and brings me back some hope. Well, and what about his affair? Oh, it gives us a lot of worry, uncle. I spoke to you about it before, but you shrugged your shoulders, saying that in matters of that kind all that the parents had to do was to let the lovers settle their affairs between them. Still, we don't want everybody to repeat that we are urging our son to get the little princess to elope with him, so that he may afterwards marry her money and title. At this Orlando indulged in a frank outburst of gaiety. That's a fine scruple. Was it your husband who instructed you to tell me of it? I know, however, that he affects some delicacy in this matter. For my own part, I believe myself to be as honest as he is, and I can only repeat that, if I had a son like yours, so straightforward and good, and candidly loving, I should let him marry whomsoever he pleased in his own way. The Buon Giovannis, good heavens, the Buon Giovannis. Why, despite all their rank and lineage and the money they still possess, it will be a great honour for them to have a handsome young man with a noble heart as their son-in-law. Again did Stefana assume an expression of placid satisfaction. She had certainly only come there for approval. Very well, uncle, she replied. I'll repeat that to my husband, and he will pay great attention to it. For if you are severe towards him, he holds you in perfect veneration. And as for that ministry, well, perhaps nothing will be done. Sacco will decide according to circumstances. She rose and took her leave, kissing the old soldier very affectionately as on her arrival and she complimented him on his good looks, declaring that she found him as handsome as ever, and making him smile by speaking of a lady who was still madly in love with him. Then, after acknowledging the young priest's silent salutation by a slight bow, she went off, once more wearing her modest and sensible air. For a moment Orlando, with his eyes turned towards the door, remained silent, again sad, reflecting no doubt on all the difficult, equivocal present, so different from the glorious past. But all at once he turned to Pierre, who was still waiting. And so, my friend, said he, you are staying at the Palazzo Bocconera. Ah, what a grievous misfortune there has been on that side, too. However, when the priest had told him of his conversation with Benedetta, and of her message that she still loved him and would never forget his goodness to her, no matter whatever happened, he appeared moved and his voice trembled. Yes, she has a good heart. She has no spite. But what would you have? She did not love Luigi, and he was possibly violent. There is no mystery about the matter now, and I can speak to you freely, since to my great grief everybody knows what has happened. Then Orlando abandoned himself to his recollections, 
and related how keen had been his delight on the eve of the marriage at the thought that so lovely a creature would become his daughter and set some youth and charm around his invalid's armchair he had always worshipped beauty and would have had no other love than woman if his country had not seized upon the best part of him and benedetta on her side loved him revered him constantly coming up to spend long hours with him sharing his poor little room which at those times became resplendent with all the divine grace that she brought with her with her fresh breath near him the pure sense she diffused the caressing womanly tenderness with which she surrounded him he lived anew but immediately afterwards what a frightful drama and how his heart had bled at his inability to reconcile the husband and the wife he could not possibly say that his son was in the wrong in desiring to be the loved and accepted spouse at first indeed he had hoped to soften benedetta and throw her into luigi's arms but when she had confessed herself to him in tears owning her old love for dario and her horror of belonging to another he realized that she would never yield and a whole year had then gone by he had lived for a whole year imprisoned in his armchair with that poignant drama progressing beneath him in those luxurious rooms whence no sound even reached his ears how many times had he not listened striving to hear fearing atrocious quarrels in despair at his inability to prove still useful by creating happiness he knew nothing by his son who kept his own counsel he only learnt a few particulars from benedetta at intervals when emotion left her defenceless and that marriage in which he had for a moment espied the much-needed alliance between old and new rome that unconsummated marriage filled him with despair as if it were indeed the defeat of every hope the final collapse of the dream which had filled his life and he himself had ended by desiring the divorce so unbearable had become the suffering caused by such a situation ah my friend he said to pierre never before did i so well understand the fatality of certain antagonism the possibility of working one's own misfortune and that of others even when one has the most loving heart and upright mind but at that moment the door again opened and this time without knocking count luigi prada came in and after rapidly bowing to the visitor who had risen he gently took hold of his father's hands and felt them as if fearing that they might be too warm or too cold i've just arrived from frascati where i had to sleep said he for the interruption of all that building gives me a lot of worry and i'm told that you spent a bad night no i assure you oh i knew you wouldn't own it but why will you persist in living up here without any comfort all this isn't suited to your age i should be so pleased if you would accept a more comfortable room where you might sleep better no no i know that you love me well my dear luigi but let me do as my old head tells me that's the only way to make me happy pierre was much struck by the ardent affection which sparkled in the eyes of the two men as they gazed at one another face to face this seemed to him very touching and beautiful knowing as he did how many contrary ideas and actions how many moral divergencies separated them and he next took an interest in comparing them physically count luigi prada shorter more thick-set than his father had however much the same strong energetic head crowned with coarse black hair and the same frank but somewhat stern eyes set in a face of clear complexion barred by thick moustaches but his mouth differed a sensual voracious mouth it was with wolfish teeth a mouth of prey made for nights of rapine when the only question is to bite and tear and devour others and for this reason when some praised the frankness of his eyes another would retort yes but i don't like his mouth 
his feet were large his hands plump and overbroad but admirably cared for and pierre marvelled at finding him such as he had anticipated he knew enough of his story to picture in him a hero's son spoilt by conquest eagerly devouring the harvest garnered by his father's glorious sword and he particularly studied how the father's virtues had deflected and become transformed into vices in the son the most noble qualities being perverted heroic and disinterested energy lapsing into a ferocious appetite for possession the man of battle leading to the man of booty since the great gusts of enthusiasm no longer swept by since men no longer fought since they remained there resting pillaging and devouring amidst the heaped-up spoils and the pity of it was that the old hero the paralytic motionless father beheld it all beheld the degeneration of his son the speculator and company promoter gorged with millions however orlando introduced pierre this is monsieur l'abbé pierre Froment, whom i spoke to you about he said the author of the book which i gave you to read luigi prada showed himself very amiable at once talking of rome with an intelligent passion like one who wished to make the city a great modern capital he had seen paris transformed by the second empire he had seen berlin enlarged and embellished after the german victories and according to him if rome did not follow the movement if it did not become the inhabitable capital of a great people it was threatened with prompt death either a crumbling museum or a renovated resuscitated city those were the alternatives greatly struck almost gained over already pierre listened to this clever man charmed with his firm clear mind he knew how skilfully prada had manoeuvred in the affair of the villa montefiori enriching himself when every one else was ruined having doubtless foreseen the fatal catastrophe even while the gambling passion was maddening the entire nation however the young priest could already detect marks of weariness precocious wrinkles and a fall of the lips on that determined energetic face as though its possessor were growing tired of the continual struggle that he had to carry on amidst surrounding downfalls the shock of which threatened to bring the most firmly established fortunes to the ground it was said that prada had recently had grave cause for anxiety and indeed there was no longer any solidity to be found everything might be swept away by the financial crisis which day by day was becoming more and more serious in the case of luigi sturdy son though he was of northern italy a sort of degeneration had set in a slow rot caused by the softening perversive influence of rome he had there rushed upon the satisfaction of every appetite and prolonged enjoyment was exhausting him this indeed was one of the causes of the deep silent sadness of orlando who was compelled to witness the swift deterioration of his conquering race whilst sacco the italian of the south served as it were by the climate accustomed to the voluptuous atmosphere the life of those sun-baked cities compounded of the dust of antiquity bloomed there like the natural vegetation of a soil saturated with the crimes of history and gradually grasped everything both wealth and power as orlando spoke of stefano's visit to his son sacco's name was mentioned then without another word the two men exchanged a smile a rumour was current that the minister of agriculture lately deceased would perhaps not be replaced immediately and that another minister would take charge of the department pending the next session of the chamber next the palazzo bocconera was mentioned and pierre his interest awakened became more attentive ah exclaimed count luigi turning to him so you are staying in the via giulia all the rome of olden time sleeps there in the silence of forgetfulness with perfect ease he went on to speak of the cardinal and even of benedetta the countess as he called her 
but although he was careful to let no sign of anger escape him the young priest could divine that he was secretly quivering full of suffering and spite in him the enthusiastic energy of his father appeared in a baser degenerate form quitting the yet handsome princess flavia in his passion for benedetta her divinely beautiful niece he had resolved to make the latter his own at any cost determined to marry her to struggle with her and overcome her although he knew that she loved him not and that he would almost certainly wreck his entire life rather than relinquish her however he would have set rome on fire and thus his hopeless suffering was now great indeed this woman was but his wife in name and so torturing was the thought of her disdain that at times however calm his outward demeanour he was consumed by a jealous vindictive sensual madness that did not even recoil from the idea of crime monsieur l'abbé is acquainted with the situation sadly murmured old orlando his son responded by a wave of the hand as though to say that everybody was acquainted with it ah father he added but for you i should never have consented to take part in those proceedings for annulling the marriage the countess would have found herself compelled to return here and would not nowadays be deriding us with her lover that cousin of hers dario at this orlando also waved his hand as if in protest oh it's a fact father continued luigi why did she flee from here if it wasn't to go and live with her lover and indeed in my opinion it's scandalous that a cardinal's palace should shelter such goings-on this was the report which he spread abroad the accusation which he everywhere levelled against his wife of publicly carrying on a shameless liaison in reality however he did not believe a word of it being too well acquainted with benedetta's firm rectitude and her determination to belong to none but the man she loved and to him only in marriage however in david's eyes such accusations were not only fair play but also very efficacious and now although he turned pale with covert exasperation and laughed a hard vindictive cruel laugh he went on to speak in a bantering tone of the proceedings for annulling the marriage and in particular of the plea put forward by benedetta's advocate marano and at last his language became so free that orlando with a glance towards the priest gently interposed luigi luigi yes you are right father i'll say no more thereupon added the young count but it's really abominable and ridiculous lisbeth you know is highly amused at it orlando again looked displeased for when visitors were present he did not like his son to refer to the person whom he had just named lisbeth kaufmann very blonde and pink and merry was barely thirty years of age and belonged to the roman foreign colony for two years past she had been a widow her husband having died at rome whither he had come to nurse a complaint of the lungs thenceforward free and sufficiently well off she had remained in the city by taste having a marked predilection for art and painting a little herself in the via principe amadeo in the new viminal district she had purchased a little palazzo and transformed a large apartment on its second floor into a studio hung with old stuffs and balmy in every season with the scent of flowers the place was well known to tolerant and intellectual society lisbeth was there found in perpetual jubilation clad in a long blouse somewhat of a gamine in her ways trenchant too and often bold of speech but nevertheless capital company and as yet compromised with nobody but prada their liaison had begun some four months after his wife had left him and now lisbeth was near the time of becoming a mother this she in no wise concealed 
but displayed such candid tranquillity and happiness that her numerous acquaintances continued to visit her as if there were nothing in question so facile and free indeed is the life of the great cosmopolitan continental cities under the circumstances which his wife's suit had created prada himself was not displeased at the turn which events had taken with regard to lisbeth but none the less his incurable wound still bled there could be no compensation for the bitterness of benedetta's disdain it was she for whom his heart burned and he dreamt of one day wreaking on her a tragic punishment pierre knowing nothing of lisbeth failed to understand the illusions of orlando and his son but realizing that there was some embarrassment between them he sought to take countenance by picking from off the littered table a thick book which to his surprise he found to be a french educational work one of those manuals for the baccalauréat containing a digest of the knowledge which the official programmes require it was but an humble practical elementary work yet it necessarily dealt with all the mathematical physical chemical and natural sciences thus broadly outlining the intellectual conquests of the century the present phase of human knowledge ah exclaimed orlando well pleased with the diversion you are looking at the book of my old friend theophile morin he was one of the thousand of marsala you know and helped us to conquer sicily and naples a hero but for more than thirty years now he has been living in france again absorbed in the duties of his petty professorship which hasn't made him at all rich and so he lately published that book which sells very well in france it seems and it occurred to him that he might increase his modest profits on it by issuing translations an italian one among others he and i have remained brothers and thinking that my influence would prove decisive he wishes to utilize it but he is mistaken i fear alas that i shall be unable to get anybody to take up his book at this luigi prada who had again become very composed and amiable shrugged his shoulders slightly full as he was of the scepticism of his generation which desired to maintain things as they were in order to derive the greatest profit from them what would be the good of it he murmured there are too many books already no no the old man passionately retorted there can never be too many books we still and ever require fresh ones it's by literature not by the sword that mankind will overcome falsehood and injustice and attain to the final peace of fraternity among the nations oh you may smile i know that you call these ideas my fancies of forty-eight the fancies of a grey beard as people say in france but it is none the less true that italy is doomed if the problem is not attacked from down below if the people be not properly fashioned and there is only one way to make a nation to create men and that is to educate them to develop by educational means the immense lost force which now stagnates in ignorance and idleness yes yes italy is made but let us make an italian nation and give us more and more books and let us ever go more and more forward into science and into light if we wish to live and to be healthy good and strong with his torso erect with his powerful leonine muzzle flaming with the white brightness of his beard and hair old orlando looked superb and in that simple candid chamber so touching with its intentional poverty he raised his cry of hope with such intensity of feverish faith that before the young priest's eyes there arose another figure that of cardinal boccanera erect and black save for his snow-white hair and likewise glowing with heroic beauty in his crumbling palace whose gilded ceilings threatened to fall about his head ah the magnificent stubborn men of the past the believers 
the old men who still show themselves more virile more ardent than the young those two represented the opposite poles of belief they had not an idea an affection in common and in that ancient city of rome where all was being blown away in dust they alone seemed to protest indestructible face to face like two parted brothers standing motionless on either horizon and to have seen them thus one after the other so great and grand so lonely so detached from ordinary life was to fill one's day with a dream of eternity luigi however had taken hold of the old man's hands to calm him by an affectionate filial clasp yes yes you are right father always right and i'm a fool to contradict you now pray don't move about like that for you are uncovering yourself and your legs will get cold again so saying he knelt down and very carefully arranged the wrapper and then remaining on the floor like a child albeit he was two and forty he raised his moist eyes full of mute entreating worship towards the old man who calmed and deeply moved caressed his hair with a trembling touch pierre had been there for nearly two hours when he at last took leave greatly struck and affected by all that he had seen and heard and again he had to promise that he would return and have a long chat with orlando once out of doors he walked along at random it was barely four o'clock and it was his idea to ramble in this wise without any predetermined programme through rome at that delightful hour when the sun sinks in the refreshed and far blue atmosphere almost immediately however he found himself in the via nazionale along which he had driven on arriving the previous day and he recognized the huge livid banca d'italia the green gardens climbing to the quirinal and the heaven-soaring pines of the villa aldo brandini then at the turn of the street as he halted in order that he might again contemplate the column of trajan which now rose up darkly from its low piazza already full of twilight he was surprised to see a victoria suddenly stop and a young man courteously beckoned to him monsieur l'abbé froment monsieur l'abbé froment it was the young prince dario bocanera on his way to his daily drive along the corso he now virtually subsisted on the liberality of his uncle the cardinal and was almost always short of money but like all the romans he would if necessary have rather lived on bread and water than have forgone his carriage horse and coachman an equipage indeed is the one indispensable luxury of rome if you will come with me monsieur l'abbé froment said the young prince i will show you the most interesting part of our city he doubtless desired to please benedetta by behaving amiably towards her protege idle as he was too it seemed to him a pleasant occupation to initiate that young priest who was said to be so intelligent into what he deemed the inimitable side the true florescence of roman life pierre was compelled to accept although he would have preferred a solitary stroll yet he was interested in this young man the last born of an exhausted race who while seemingly incapable of either thought or action was none the less very seductive with his high-born pride and indolence far more a roman than a patriot dario had never had the faintest inclination to rally to the new order of things being well content to live apart and to do nothing and passionate though he was he indulged in no follies being very practical and sensible at heart as are all his fellow-citizens despite their apparent impetuosity as soon as his carriage after crossing the piazza di venezia entered the corso he gave rein to his childish vanity his desire to shine his passion for gay happy life in the open under the lovely sky all this indeed was clearly expressed in the simple gesture which he made whilst exclaiming the corso 
as on the previous day pierre was filled with astonishment the long narrow street again stretched before him as far as the white dazzling piazza del popolo the only difference being that the right-hand houses were now steeped in sunshine whilst those on the left were black with shadow what was that the corso then that semi-obscure trench close pressed by high and heavy house fronts that mean roadway where three vehicles could scarcely pass abreast and which serried shops lined with gaudy displays there was neither space nor far horizon nor refreshing greenery such as the fashionable drives of paris could boast nothing but jostling crowding and stifling on the little footways under the narrow strip of sky and although dario named the pompous and historical palaces bonaparte doria rescalci sciara and chigi although he pointed out the column of marcus aurelius on the piazza colonna the most lively square of the whole city with its everlasting throng of lounging gazing chattering people although all the way to the piazza del popolo he never ceased calling attention to churches houses and side streets notably the via dei condotti at the far end of which the trinità di monti all golden in the glory of the sinking sun appeared above that famous flight of steps the triumphal scala di spagna pierre still and ever retained the impression of disillusion which the narrow airless thoroughfare had conveyed to him the palaces looked to him like mournful hospitals or barracks the piazza colonna suffered terribly from a lack of trees and the trinita de monti alone took his fancy by its distant radiance of fairyland but it was necessary to come back from the piazza del popolo to the piazza di venezia then return to the former square and come back yet again following the entire corso three and four times without wearying the delighted dario showed himself and looked about him exchanging salutations on either footway was a compact crowd of promenaders whose eyes roamed over the equipages and whose hands could have shaken those of the carriage folks so great at last became the number of vehicles that both lines were absolutely unbroken crowded to such a point that the coachmen could do no more than walk their horses perpetually going up and coming down the corso people scrutinized and jostled one another it was open-air promiscuity all rome gathered together in the smallest possible space the folks who knew one another and who met here as in a friendly drawing-room and the folks belonging to adverse parties who did not speak together but who elbowed each other and whose glances penetrated to each other's soul then a revelation came to pierre and he suddenly understood the corso the ancient custom the passion and the glory of the city its pleasure lay precisely in the very narrowness of the street in that forced elbowing which facilitating not only the desired meetings but the satisfaction of curiosity the display of vanity and the garnering of endless tittle-tattle all roman society met here each day displayed itself spied on itself offering itself in spectacle to its own eyes with such an indispensable need of thus beholding itself that the man of birth who missed the corso was like one out of his element destitute of newspapers living like a savage and withal the atmosphere was delightfully balmy and the narrow strip of sky between the heavy rusty mansions displayed an infinite azure purity dario never ceased smiling and slightly inclining his head while he repeated to pierre the names of princes and princesses dukes and duchesses high-sounding names whose flourish had filled history whose sonorous syllables conjured up the shock of armour on the battlefield and the splendour of papal pomp with robes of purple tiaras of gold and sacred vestments sparkling with precious stones 
and as pierre listened and looked he was pained to see merely some corpulent ladies or undersized gentlemen bloated or shrunken beings whose ill looks seemed to be increased by their modern attire however a few pretty women went by particularly some young silent girls with large clear eyes and just as dario had pointed out the palazzo buon giovanni a huge seventeenth-century façade with windows encompassed by foliaged ornamentation deplorably heavy in style he added gaily ah look that's attilio there on the footway young lieutenant sacco you know don't you pierre signed that he understood standing there in uniform attilio so young so energetic and brave of appearance with a frank countenance softly illumined by blue eyes like his mother's at once pleased the priest he seemed indeed the very personification of youth and love with all their enthusiastic disinterested hope in the future you'll see by and by when we pass the palace again said dario he'll still be there and i'll show you something then he began to talk gaily of the girls of rome the little princesses the little duchesses so discreetly educated at the convent of the sacred heart quitting it for the most part so ignorant and then completing their education beside their mothers never going out but to accompany the latter on the obligatory drive to the corso and living through endless days cloistered imprisoned in the depths of sombre mansions nevertheless what tempest raged in those mute souls to which none had ever penetrated what stealthy growth of will suddenly appeared from under passive obedience apparent unconsciousness of surroundings how many there were who stubbornly set their minds on carving out their lives for themselves on choosing the man who might please them and securing him despite the opposition of the entire world and the lover was chosen there from among the stream of young men promenading the corso the lover hooked with a glance during the daily drive those candid eyes speaking aloud and sufficing for confession and the gift of all whilst not a breath was wafted from the lips so chastely closed and afterwards there came love letters furtively exchanged in church and the winning over of maids to facilitate stolen meetings at first so innocent in the end a marriage often resulted celia for her part had determined to win attilio on the very first day when their eyes had met and it was from a window of the palazzo buon giovanni that she had perceived him one afternoon of mortal weariness he had just raised his head and she had taken him forever and given herself to him with those large pure eyes of hers as they rested on his own she was but an amorosa nothing more he pleased her she had set her heart on him him and none other she would have waited twenty years for him but she relied on winning him at once by quiet stubbornness of will people declared that the terrible fury of the prince her father had proved impotent against her respectful obstinate silence he man of mixed blood as he was son of an american woman and husband of an english woman laboured but to retain his own name and fortune intact amidst the downfall of others and it was rumoured that as the result of a quarrel which he had picked with his wife whom he accused of not sufficiently watching over their daughter the princess had revolted full not only of the pride of a foreigner who had brought a huge dowry in marriage but also of such plain frank egotism that she had declared she no longer found time enough to attend to herself let alone another had she not already done enough in bearing him five children she thought so and now she spent her time in worshipping herself letting celia do as she listed and taking no further interest in the household through which swept stormy gusts however the carriage was again about to pass the buon giovanni mansion and dario forewarned pierre you see said he attilio has come back 
and now look up at the third window on the first floor. It was at once rapid and charming. Pierre saw the curtain slightly drawn aside and Celia's gentle face appear. Closed, candid lily, she did not smile, she did not move. Nothing could be read on those pure lips or in those clear but fathomless eyes of hers. Yet she was taking Attilio to herself and giving herself to him without reserve. And soon the curtain fell once more. Ah, the little mask, muttered Dario. Can one ever tell what there is behind so much innocence? As Pierre turned round, he perceived Attilio, whose head was still raised, and whose face was also motionless and pale, with closed mouth and widely opened eyes. And the young priest was deeply touched, for this was love, absolute love in its sudden omnipotence, true love, eternal and juvenescent, in which ambition and calculation played no part. Then Dario ordered the coachman to drive up to the Pincio, for before or after the Corso, the round of the Pincio is obligatory on fine, clear afternoons. First came the Piazza del Popolo, the most airy and regular square of Rome, with its conjunction of thoroughfares, its churches and fountains, its central obelisk, and its two clumps of trees facing one another at either end of the small white paving stones, betwixt the severe and sun-gilt buildings. Then, turning to the right, the carriage began to climb the inclined way to the Pincio, a magnificent winding ascent, decorated with bas-reliefs, statues and fountains, a kind of apotheosis of marble, a commemoration of ancient Rome, rising amidst greenery. Up above, however, Pierre found the garden small, little better than a large square, with just the four necessary roadways to enable the carriages to drive round and round as long as they pleased. An uninterrupted line of busts of the great men of ancient and modern Italy fringed these roadways. But what Pierre most admired was the trees, trees of the most rare and varied kinds, chosen and tended with infinite care, and nearly always evergreens, so that in winter and summer alike the spot was adorned with lovely foliage of every imaginable shade of verdure. And beside these trees, along the fine, breezy roadways, Dario's Victoria began to turn, following the continuous, unwearying stream of the other carriages. Pierre remarked one young woman of modest demeanour and attractive simplicity who sat alone in a dark blue Victoria, drawn by a well-groomed, elegantly harnessed horse. She was very pretty, short, with chestnut hair, a creamy complexion, and large, gentle eyes. Quietly robed in dead-leaf silk, she wore a large hat, which alone looked somewhat extravagant. And seeing that Dario was staring at her, the priest inquired her name, whereat the young prince smiled. Oh, she was nobody. La Tonietta was the name that people gave her. She was one of the few demi-mondaines that Roman society talked of. Then, with the freeness and frankness which his race displays in such matters, Dario added some particulars. La Tonietta's origin was obscure. Some said that she was the daughter of an innkeeper of Tivoli, and others that of a Neapolitan banker. At all events, she was very intelligent, had educated herself, and knew thoroughly well how to receive and entertain people at the little palazzo in the Via dei Mille, which had been given to her by old Marquis Manfredi, now deceased. She made no scandalous show, had but one protector at a time, and the princesses and duchesses who paid attention to her at the Corso every afternoon considered her nice-looking. One peculiarity had made her somewhat notorious. There was someone whom she loved, and from whom she never accepted aught but a bouquet of white roses and folks would smile indulgently when at times for weeks together she was seen driving around the Pincio with those pure white bridal flowers on the carriage seat. 
dario however suddenly paused in his explanations to address a ceremonious bow to a lady who accompanied by a gentleman drove by in a large landau then he simply said to the priest my mother pierre already knew of her viscount de la choux had told him her story how after prince onofrio bocanera's death she had married again although she was already fifty how at the corso just like some young girl she had hooked with her eyes a handsome man to her liking one too who was fifteen years her junior and pierre also knew who that man was a certain jules laporte an ex-sergeant of the papal swiss guard an ex-traveller in relics compromised in an extraordinary false relic fraud and he was further aware that laporte's wife had made a fine-looking marquis montefiori of him the last of the fortunate adventurers of romance triumphing as in the legendary lands where shepherds are wedded to queens at the next turn as the large landau again went by pierre looked at the couple the marchioness was really wonderful blooming with all the classical roman beauty tall opulent and very dark with the head of a goddess and regular if somewhat massive features nothing as yet betraying her age except the down upon her upper lip and the marquis the romanized swiss of geneva really had a proud bearing with his sturdy soldierly figure and long wavy moustaches people said that he was in no wise a fool but on the contrary very gay and very supple just the man to please women his wife so gloried in him that she dragged him about and displayed him everywhere having begun life afresh with him as if she were still but twenty spending on him the little fortune which she had saved from the villa montefiori disaster and so completely forgetting her son that she only saw the latter now and again at the promenade and acknowledged his bow like that of some chance acquaintance let us go to see the sunset behind st peter's all at once said dario conscientiously playing his part as a showman of curiosities the victoria thereupon returned to the terrace where a military band was now playing with a terrific blare of brass instruments in order that their occupants might hear the music a large number of carriages had already drawn up and a growing crowd of loungers on foot had assembled there and from that beautiful terrace so broad and lofty one of the most wonderful views of rome was offered to the gaze beyond the tiber beyond the pale chaos of the new district of the castle meadows and between the greenery of monte mario and the janiculum arose st peter's then on the left came all the olden city an endless stretch of roofs a rolling sea of edifices as far as the eye could reach but one's glances always came back to st peter's towering into the azure with pure and sovereign grandeur and seen from the terrace the slow sunsets in the depths of the vast sky behind the colossus were sublime sometimes there are topplings of sanguineous clouds battles of giants hurling mountains at one another and succumbing beneath the monstrous ruins of flaming cities sometimes only red streaks or fissures appear on the surface of a sombre lake as if a net of light has been flung to fish the submerged orb from amidst the seaweed sometimes too there is a rosy mist a kind of delicate dust which falls streaked with pearls by a distant shower whose curtain is drawn across the mystery of the horizon and sometimes there is a triumph a cortege of gold and purple chariots of cloud rolling along a highway of fire galleys floating upon an azure sea fantastic and extravagant pomps slowly sinking into the less and less fathomable abyss of the twilight but that night the sublime spectacle presented itself to pierre with a calm blinding desperate grandeur 
at first just above the dome of st peter's the sun descending in a spotless deeply limpid sky proved yet so resplendent that one's eyes could not face its brightness and in this resplendency the dome seemed to be incandescent you would have said a dome of liquid silver whilst the surrounding districts the house roofs of the borgo were as though changed into a lake of live embers then as the sun was by degrees inclined it lost some of its blaze and one could look and soon afterwards sinking with majestic slowness it disappeared behind the dome which showed forth darkly blue while the orb now entirely hidden set an aureola around it a glory like a crown of flaming rays and then began the dream the dazzling symbol the singular illumination of the row of windows beneath the cupola which were transpierced by the light and looked like the ruddy mouths of furnaces in such wise that one might have imagined the dome to be poised upon a brazier isolated in the air as though raised and upheld by the violence of the fire it all lasted barely three minutes down below the jumbled roofs of the borgo became steeped in violet vapour sank into increasing gloom whilst from the janiculum to monte mario the horizon showed its firm black line and it was the sky then which became all purple and gold displaying the infinite placidity of a supernatural radiance above the earth which faded into nihility finally the last window reflections were extinguished the glow of the heavens departed and nothing remained but the vague fading roundness of the dome of st peter's amidst the all-invading night and by some subtle connection of ideas pierre at that moment once again saw rising before him the lofty sad declining figures of cardinal bocanera and old orlando on the evening of that day when he had learnt to know them one after the other both so great in the obstinacy of their hope they seemed to be there erect on the horizon above their annihilated city on the fringe of the heavens which death apparently was about to seize was everything then to crumble with them was everything to fade away and disappear in the falling night following upon accomplished time end of section eight